Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask now, as we have seen You do time and time again, to be with us, to guide us, to show us the way forward. Lord, we are a people that especially needs Your help. We're a nation that needs Your help. And this community in particular, Lord, we're calling upon You for healing in our life, for relief, for hope. Father, that You would renew that hope in us. The hope of everlasting life by faith in Jesus Christ. What more could we want? Let that always be at the forefront of our mind as we go through difficult and trying times as a family. But Lord, we know You're good. We've seen Your goodness time and again. We are seeing it again even today. We thank You for these kids who are moving up to junior high. What a praise this is to see our own children um, maturing in the faith and moving to that next level in their life. Thank You for Cor and for Emily. The, the graduations from college, what an accomplishment. We pray Your blessings upon them. And now, Lord, as we open up Your Word, give us eyes to see and ears to hear precisely what encouragement You would have for us today as we consider uh, walking through a life of wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love to eat at the Mission Viejo Mall. Anybody love to eat at the Mission Viejo Mall? I mean, it's so awesome, right? All the, the food court, right? Who loves the food court? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Yeah, there's so many options. You walk into the food court at the Mission Viejo Mall and you've got so many options. And th- they're changing so many times. It's really odd how one goes down and then another one pops up. But, but there's so many options at, at the Mission Viejo Mall. It, it's exciting every time I walk in and wonder, what am I going to eat? Well, a number of years ago, one of the restaurants that I never went to before, a restaurant called Sarku. Anybody been to Sarku? The Japanese restaurant, right? Scott's favorite? My favorite, okay? I never went to this restaurant in the Mission Bay Mall. I always walk by and go, Sarku? I don't know, that's kind of weird. I don't know what, what that means. And, but then, then, one of the chefs with the tall white hat, he stood out there with his little plate of chicken. And his little toothpick. And he stuck the toothpick in the chicken and he offered it to me. And I, and I took it, you know, and Sarku, what's this? And I took a bite and I was hooked. I mean, I was hooked. I had a bite of that teriyaki chicken and the, you know, more sauce, extra sauce. You know, I was asked extra sauce. And oh my goodness, it's just, it, it, it's watering my mouth. I want to leave right now and go to the Mission Viejo Mall. But then, there were imitators at the mall. There were others nearby who tried to do what Sarku did. They put out one of their chefs in the tall white hat and they tried to offer me other food, but you know, I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested. They were competing for my money. They were competing for my business. But I knew which meat, which teriyaki I wanted to go for every time because they made it right there in front of you. It wasn't none of this fried stuff. They made it right there in front of you and you could get the extra sauce. Amen? Amen. But they competed for my business at the Mission Viejo Mall. And they still do to this day. Even though I've, I'm devoted to Sarku. The title of my message today is Wisdom and Folly. Two hosts competing 
for your reservation. Wisdom and folly. Two hosts competing for your reservation. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. We just have a simple handout today. Open up your Bibles, though. You may want to because we'll be uh, jumping around a couple times. Proverbs chapter 9. And as you're turning there, know this, that Proverbs chapter 9 is essentially the culmination of Solomon's introduction to the book. Yeah, I said introduction. It took, it took him nine chapters to introduce the book. And from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 9, King Solomon is introducing the book of Proverbs. We normally think of Proverbs as short, one-verse nuggets of truth. And that is very much the case throughout much of the Proverbs, beginning in chapter 10 onward. But Proverbs 1-9 through contains a long introduction to the book. In particular, it sets up the age-old competition between a life of wisdom and a life of folly. A life of wisdom, prudence, and a life of foolishness. And here in chapter 9, we see Solomon make his final introductory remarks on the vast differences between a life of wisdom and a life of folly. Would you stand with me as we read the opening six verses of Proverbs chapter 9? Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 and continuing to verse 6. Solomon writes this through the, through the Spirit of the Lord. He writes, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out, of seven, out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness. And live and go in the way of understanding. You may be seated. Now, men and women alike have to love the opening lines of Solomon here. First of all, men, did you notice we have construction in verse 1? Oh, come on, guys. We have construction in verse 1. This is awesome. There's the building of a house. And I know some of you general contractors and architects and engineers in this room are getting really excited right now. But ladies, before you tune out, take note of who is building the house. It says wisdom has built her house. And in fact, whenever the virtue of wisdom is personified in the Bible, it is always done in the feminine form. Wisdom is always a she. Can I get an amen from the ladies? I tell you, the women of Solomon's day, they were impressive. I mean, they built houses. Look at verse 2. They slaughtered their own meat. I mean, what's cooler than a woman who goes out and kills the family cow? But I digress. The Bible says that the quality of wisdom, the quality of wisdom is strong. It's durable. It's built on a house of seven pillars. 
Meaning, it's constructed perfectly. It's perfectly fastened to its foundation. Jesus would say, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. And when the rains come, it will not fall. And so the house of wisdom has been built. And is preparing, that house is, that house is preparing to host anyone who would seek its benefits. In fact, a great banquet is being prepared for anyone that would like to live wisely. Meat is being slaughtered and cooked. Wine, a staple drink in the Old Testament, it's being mixed with aromatic spices. Wisdom is preparing her table for anyone, anyone, to come and dine with her. Now, I've never built a house before, but I'm told it can take years to design it, to get the necessary permits, to, uh, to find the appropriate contractors and to finish its construction. It can take years to build a house. And as far as preparing a meal goes, I don't have much experience there either. I'd have to check the back of the Kraft macaroni and cheese box to know how long it takes to prepare the meal. And I think it's seven minutes to boil the noodles. Isn't that right, honey? Seven minutes? Okay, seven minutes. That's about how long I know how to cook. And yet, you look at this meal that's being prepared. You look at this house that's being built. Verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. She's taken the time to construct on a solid foundation. It's been slow. It's been steady. It's taken a long time to build. But it's secure. And not only that, wisdom has slaughtered her meat. She's mixed her wine. She's furnished her table. She's prepared a meal and it's taken all day. All day. To slaughter the cow, to prepare the meat, to mix the wine, to prepare the meal. It's taken all day, not just seven minutes to boil the noodles. Yet here, we see that the point is that wisdom, the virtue of wisdom, the characteristic of wisdom, it is not easily earned. To be a wise person, it takes time. It takes time to earn it. It takes time to gain wisdom. It takes work. It takes consistency. It takes steadfastness. It takes faithfulness. But when wisdom is finally earned, its recipients will come to learn that fewer things, fewer things are more gratifying in life than to live wisely as Christ would have us live. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 5. He said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. It's never too late to accept the invitation to wisdom. Some of us might be sitting here today and thinking, I haven't lived wisely. We can look back over the course of our life. Or perhaps we can look back over the course of the last shorter duration of time. And we might be thinking to ourselves, have I been acting wisely? Have I been making wise decisions? Have I 
Have I been making foolish mistakes? As you consider your life, have you exhibited wisdom, carefulness, prudence in your life? Or have you been rash, quick to judgment, quick to make decisions and just see what happens? Solomon's indicating here that wisdom is built slowly. It's built on a firm foundation. It takes time to prepare this meal. But to accept the invitation, to accept the invitation to come and immerse yourself in a banquet of wisdom, he says that invitation is always open. It's always open. Look at verse 3. She has sent out her maidens, wisdom has. She sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. And this is what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I've mixed. Forsake foolishness and live. Go in the way of understanding. The maidens of verse 3, they symbolize the going forth of the invitation to a life of wisdom. The way of wisdom is well known. It can be seen from the highest place in the city. We can see it. We know what wisdom is. We know it when we see it. In the highest place of the city, it can be known. And, the good news is, you needn't be a high intellectual to become a person of wisdom. No, the invitation reads, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. The word simple there in Hebrew implies one who is meek. One who is meager. One who is common. We often uh, conflate wisdom with knowledge. We assume that, well, if you have knowledge, if you have head knowledge, then you're automatically wise. Nothing could be further from the truth according to Scripture. To the graduates today, to those junior hires who are brand new junior junior high kids entering Trek, I would say to you, your education is going to be of tremendous value. It's going to be of tremendous value as you learn, as you grow, as you go to school and learn new things about math and science and history and English. You'll learn much. And there is much to be learned for all of us, whether we're entering junior high, graduating college, going on to some other uh, new job in life, or whether we're a senior, a coaster. We are all lifelong learners. But head knowledge, whether you're a formal student or not, head knowledge must be coupled with a heart of wisdom, or else it will be wasted. The world is full of knowledgeable people but there is a deficit of wisdom. Think about this. Knowledge. What does knowledge ask? Knowledge asks, what is true? What is true? That's knowledge. What is true about the world? Learn the facts. Learn the truth. Identify. Measure it. Test it. Is that true or is it not? It's a good question to ask. What is true? That's the quest of knowledge. But then wisdom asks a better question. Wisdom asks, what do I do with this truth? What do I do with this truth? If all I'm doing is piling in my head knowledge of the truth, that I know things, 
that I, that I understand things, but I don't utilize that knowledge. I don't utilize that truth. I don't implement that truth into my heart. Then what good is the knowledge? Knowledge asks, what is true? Wisdom asks, what do I do with the truth? Paul knew. The Apostle Paul. He knew about the stark difference between knowledge and wisdom. He knew of the stark difference between knowledge and wisdom. Turn in your Bibles. It's on your outline there as well. But you may want to look in your Bibles because of what happens later on in the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. In 1 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes these words. 1 Corinthians 8, 1-3. He writes, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. I want to read it one more time. Now concerning things offered to idols, what is that? We'll talk about that in a moment. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul is speaking directly to the church at Corinth. The topic in verse 1 was meat. I know it doesn't say that. But the topic in verse 1 was meat. Meat that was being offered or sacrificed to pagan idols in the ancient Greek world. In the first century Greek world, most of the merchants, most of the the salesmen in the marketplace, they were pagan idol worshippers. And the butchers, in particular, when they slaughtered the cow, they would allow portions of the meat to be used in pagan idol ceremonies. And so, when it came time for a Christian to walk into that marketplace, some Christians in the church believed it was wrong to purchase or to eat the meat that was being sold by these pagan vendors. Some Christians would walk into the marketplace and they would avoid the vendors who they knew were selling or reusing meat that had been used in pagan idol ceremonies. They considered it unclean. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And he wrote to offer some of his knowledge on the matter. And Paul was quite clear. He said the meat could be eaten with a clear conscience because it could be sanctified by prayer. Paul was very clear on this. He says, look, the meat, it's okay. You can eat it with a clear conscience. It's sanctified by prayer. And Paul permitted um, the purchase and the eating of that meat. But sadly, sadly, some Christians took Paul's teaching, some, some Christians took Paul's knowledge that he had given to them, and they abused that knowledge. They started eating the meat 
right in front of their weaker Christian brothers. They started eating the meat. They started buying the meat and taking the Big Mac and taking a nice juicy bite right in front of their weaker Christian brother or sister who thought that meat to be unclean. It didn't matter that Paul had declared it clean. The point was is that some Christians had abused Paul's teaching and done it in such a way that they gloated, that they showcased, that they had a, a, a corner on the truth, that they understood things, that they were more mature, that they were the strong ones, and that the rest of you, you're the weak ones. And they lorded it over their other Christian brothers and sisters. They took the knowledge that they had received from Paul and they used it as a sword. And so Paul had a few choice words for these Christians. He had a few choice words for these cocky and assuming Christians who gloated over others. And this is what he said. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, but my friends, knowledge can puff up. But here's something that doesn't make you arrogant. Love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if he loves God, this one is known by God. Paul said to those Christians who were gloating over others, he says, yeah, you know, you've got a lot of head knowledge alright. That's right, you've listened to my teaching, you've listened to it in your head alright. But you haven't gotten a clue of how to use that knowledge. You haven't gotten a clue of how to use those facts. Of how to use that truth. Instead, you go out and you gloat over others. You lord it over others. You don't have a clue how to wisely and carefully and with discretion use the knowledge that you have. You don't know how to wisely persuade another to embrace the truth of God. Clearly, knowledge and wisdom do not always go together. The Christians in 1 Corinthians 8 who were puffed up, they had a lot of knowledge. But they had no wisdom. You think about uh, evangelism techniques today. Uh, You've got, you got all sorts of books on the spectrum, all sorts of techniques. You've got some who... Uh, who never evangelize. They, they, the churches, they just stay in the church and they expect people to somehow walk in the church and, and receive the Gospel. Uh, very passive approach. Then you've got others who, who go out... and when I, I used to go up to Santa Monica when I was in college and I'd go walk the streets of 3rd Street in Santa Monica and there would be open-air preachers yelling fire and brimstone to all that would hear. Very aggressive tactics. They had the knowledge, kind of, they had the knowledge of the Gospel. They had the knowledge of the Word of God. But the way they were presenting that knowledge with arrogance, with, a, with a, a way about them that was superior and looked down upon others, I'd be surprised if they had one convert in months of doing that. Knowledge and wisdom do not always go together. The good news is, friends, though, we needn't be highly intelligent to become a person of wisdom. Remember what the invitation says in Proverbs. Look again at Proverbs 9. In Proverbs 9, the invitation is this, whoever, whoever, 
Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I've mixed, forsake foolishness, and live. Go in the way of understanding. Wisdom says, come and eat bread. Drink the wine of wisdom. It has taken all day to prepare this banquet. Wisdom is not received hastily. It is earned over time, just as a chef puts hours and hours into making a sumptuous meal. But when wisdom is earned, it becomes a deep and lasting kind of satisfaction. But wisdom is not the only host offering you and I a banquet. Wisdom is not the only one with a plate of delicious teriyaki chicken. I need to stop talking about that. It's getting late. There is another plate of food. There's another host who, are, who is out there competing for your reservation. Look down at verse 13 in Proverbs 9. The chapter, we're not going through all of it today, but the chapter begins and ends with a banquet. Only this latter banquet is quite different from the first. Verse 13 to 18. Solomon writes, A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. And this is what she says. Sounds familiar. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of hell. Just as wisdom, remember remember at the start of the chapter, wisdom was personified as a strong woman who built her own house, who slaughtered her own meat. So here is the antithesis of wisdom. And it's also likened to a woman. Only this time, she is the exact opposite of her counterpart. The woman of wisdom said not a word before she had labored long and hard to prepare as a gracious host. But the woman of folly is loud from the start. The Bible describes, the, the, the scripture there in the New King James Version describes her as clamorous, meaning brash, restless, riotous, boisterous. Solomon suggests that while she is loud, she lacks knowledge of what she speaks. She lacks knowledge of what she speaks. A foolish woman is clamorous, Solomon says, but she is simple and knows nothing. But that doesn't stop her from lazily sitting down at the front of her house and calling out to the passers-by. Take note of how similar her invitation begins. Notice how it reads. She calls out, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Both similarities and differences from the first banquet. Solomon's point here could not be much clearer. He says this, at times, friends, Solomon says at times, it will be very hard, very hard, to discern the difference 
between a life of wisdom and a life of folly. At times it will be very difficult to discern the difference between the two. If you were to turn to the end of Colossians, Paul spoke of a religious practice that had the appearance of wisdom, but it was in fact empty. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 3, Paul again warns us of people who exhibit a form of godliness, an appearance of godliness, but are really just lovers of themselves. So Paul, like Solomon, was suggesting that at times it's going to be difficult to know, is this a wise thing? Is this a wise path? Is this a wise person to follow? Or is this a road of folly and foolishness? Solomon writes elsewhere in 14.12 of Proverbs, he writes, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Let me read that again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That scares me. I don't know about you. It should scare you a little bit. Because Solomon is essentially suggesting there in Proverbs 14.12 that there are some men and women who walk through life and think they're going down a wise path, but in the end, that path is just leading them to destruction. That's how similar the invitations are. That's how similar the hosts appear to be. That's how similar the meal appears to be fashioned. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here from verse 4 from the host of wisdom. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here in verse 16 from the host of folly. On the surface, such things will look appealing. Such people will look appealing and worthy of imitation. Such philosophy will look appealing and it will tickle your ears. But the banquet of folly, though it looks and appears appealing, there is a difference. We notice that difference in verse 17 when the hostess says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You see here, the food and the drink have not been prepared like the long, hard-earned labor of the woman of wisdom. Instead, the food and drink of verse 17 have been stolen, and thus they must be consumed in secret. The emphasis here on secrecy, and I'm going to just move quickly here, but the emphasis, if you were to look back in Proverbs, in chapters 5, in chapter 7, the emphasis on secrecy, the emphasis on laziness, the emphasis on the woman being brash, the emphasis on the water that is not hers, were we to compare these qualities, the qualities of foolishness, with some of the earlier statements by Solomon, especially in chapters 5 and chapter 7, we would come to learn that this woman was not at all a person of wisdom, but is rather an adulteress. She's one who lures us, folly does, to take pleasure from things that are not from God. That's what adultery is. We think of it always in, in, in kind of a, a, a from a marital standpoint, but I'm asking you to think of it even higher than that. What is adultery? Adultery is taking pleasure in things that are not from God. That's adultery. 
taking pleasure in things that are not for you and are not from God. And to the person who might think to tread down this path, who might think that that lure of folly is appealing, verse 18 serves as a final warning. But he, the man who's listening to that invitation, he does not know that the dead are there in that home. The dead are there in that woman's home. And that her guests at her table are in the depths of hell, of Sheol. A comment in one of the study Bibles. This is from the Net Bible, the New English translation on Proverbs 9.18. Quote, Those who turn to this way of life are ignorant and doomed. It may signal a literal death lying ahead in the not-too-distant future. The life of folly, a life of undisciplined, immoral, riotous living, runs counter to God's appeal for wisdom. That is the broad way that leads to destruction. Two hosts, wisdom and folly, both of them competing for your reservation. You might be asking yourself, how do I know? How do I know, Neil, if I'm eating from the table of wisdom or folly? Well, you might ask yourselves a few questions. Number one, am I motivated by what is pleasurable or by that which is truly good for me? Am I motivated by pleasure or that which is truly good for me? Another question, do I surround myself with entertainment or with the things of God? Young junior hires, entering junior high, do you surround yourself just with entertainment, with what's fun? Do you always need to be occupied with what's fun? Or are you seeing that it's the things of God that give deep and lasting satisfaction? Not a temporary thrill of entertainment. Another question. Do I take shortcuts and compromise my work? Do I take shortcuts and compromise my family, my marriage? Or am I willing to put the time and work in that is necessary to honor the Lord with those things He's entrusted to me? God's entrusted you with these things. Your work, your family, your marriage, your education. He's entrusted you with these gifts? Do you take shortcuts with them? I think in a very simple way, my wife and I, sometimes we'll get home, it's been a long day, and all we want to do, because you know now we have three kids, so it sounds like it's excusable, all we want to do is just say, yeah, kids, what do you want to watch on the TV? Click, 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 click. Yeah, okay, great. Have fun. Checking out. Anybody do that? Anybody? I mean, I, sometimes we just want to check out and say, you know what, I just need to just, I'm just going to entertain. I'm just going to, uh, just whatever's pleasurable. Whatever's easy. The shortcut. But remember that the banquet of wisdom took great time to prepare. Its final lasting significance was delayed. Its final lasting significance was delayed. It took a long time for that house to be built. It took a long time for that meal to be prepared. 
But when that foundation was laid, and when that table and that meal were ready, there was satisfaction. There was a deep and earnest satisfaction. So it is with the life of wisdom. It takes years of slow, of steady preparation, learning from God's Word, serving His church, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And when that slow and steady foundation has been laid, in due time, a harvest will be reached. I wanted to read something to you uh, that I wrote to an individual in this church. Um, This is the slow, steady uh, life of wisdom. And I wanted you, you to see it not only personified in the Scriptures, but also personified here at Coast. I couldn't attend uh, this luncheon, and so I wrote a letter to uh, a man I appreciate more than just about any other man in this church, to Al Eaton. And we, the Coasters, honored Al last uh, Sunday at a special uh, Coasters luncheon. Marianne did a wonderful job in her team. And they honored Al Eaton and Kit too for a, a wonderful life and a wonderful legacy. And then uh, this is something that I wrote, and I know, Al, you've read it, but I wanted to share it with all of you. I said, uh, Forgive me for not attending the luncheon today. I deeply wish I could to pay tribute to a man who is finishing the race so well. But I need to spend a few more days with my family and our new addition, Amelia Jane. I hope she finishes her race just like Al. As was preached today, last week, by Tom Bennett, Loyal love and commitment to the Lord and His people is what our Heavenly Father desires of us. And Al Eaton has been loyal to God in Coast Bible Church for over four decades. In an age where some switch churches every four years or four months, Al has been an example to us all of how to remain faithful through thick and thin. He stuck with and supported each of the four pastors that have come to lead Coast. He remains steady in times of transition, even times of great heartache for the church. And why? Because Al treated his church like he did his family. He loved her unconditionally. And because God foresaw that Al would stay the course, no matter the cost, He blessed Al with unique and special privileges. It was Al whom God entrusted to search for and to help negotiate the purchase of this church land. It was Al whom the Lord asked to serve many decades as both a deacon and elder of the church. Time and again, even after his retirement from the board, it was Al whom the elders called upon to come and offer wisdom for weighty decisions that needed to be made. Men by nature desire to be respected but respect must be earned. If ever there was a man at Coast who has earned that respect, it is Al Eaton. And even in his latter days, when some seasoned, respectable man might think himself too valuable to perform more petty tasks, there is Al, tidying up the church pews on a Saturday morning with his lovely wife, Kid. Humble, yes. Gracious, yes. But above all, honorable in the Spirit of Jesus, who is both head of the church and the One sanctifying her for the last day. So Al Eaton has helped build Coast Bible Church. And still today, He is keeping her clean and ready for the coming of our Lord. Thank you, Al, for a life well lived. 
You've honored the Lord. You've been loyal to His church. You've shown each one of us how to finish the race well. We love you. Serving Christ with you, Pastor Neil. We give Al Eaton a great hand of applause. Wisdom personified, slow and steady. Slow and steady. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we know there's competition in this life to check out and to take the easy route of folly or to bear down and to know that it's going to be a long and slow road to deep and lasting satisfaction. But Lord, when we take that latter road, when we take that better road, the end is so sweet. I thank You, Father, uh, that You're helping us make the wise choice. Help us, Lord, to choose a life of wisdom. Not a life of folly. Not a life of quick fix and entertainment. I pray for these graduates, Lord. Bless them. Give them an earnest desire to walk a slow and steady walk of faith that they might live a life of wisdom. That we might all live a life of wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.